Well, thank you guys. Um, just to give you a little intro, first, my, uh, my life is a series of what I would call Forrest Gump moments. Y'all know that, right? Making sure I'm in the right place. Y'all know that reference, right? Okay. Um, marriage is oftentimes thought of as this hugely contrasting thing. And so what we want to talk about tonight is just the idea and the myth of incompatibility is really, I was going to say the myth of compatibility, but it's really the myth of incompatibility and just how different worlds we come from and how God takes so many things and pulls them together in ways that we just don't understand. And so from the very beginning, you know, we've, we've been married almost 40 years. Uh, we have three kids. We have nine grandkids. There we are, the University of Texas back in the day. And we have nothing. Just, just Longhorn, yeah. So anyhow, um, we met through that, and we'll get to that in a minute, but that's a good picture for you to just, just kind of get an idea of the contrast. So Sherry grew up in a family, and she's going to tell you a little bit about that, but just think of contrast between who we were. I mean, she was the it girl from early on, sports, high school, cheerleader, sports, dated those kind of people. I was a pothead. I was a guitar player, and so we couldn't have met in high school because we would have not ever gone out in any form. So that kind of gives you a little before the story starts. So we'll just start with that. That's just kind of who we are, and then you can start with okay. where you were born into. I was born. Can y'all hear me? Okay, no. I have a little voice. I was born into a family. Um, I have two older siblings, older sister, older brother. Um, my parents had lost a baby at two days old, one year before I was born. And so I was that healthy baby girl, and <clears throat> I just brought everything together for them. Um, it was loving, it was calm, very nurturing. I was kind of doted on a little bit, a little spoiled. Um, and really the most traumatic thing that I can remember from my childhood is we moved from Houston to, from Tulsa to Houston when I was six and a half on Christmas Eve, and I was just in the middle of the back seat just with this little tiny Christmas tree just hoping that Santa would find us, you know, and that was uh, really traumatic for me. And I was born into chaos, very different world. Uh, my mom, uh, well, first of all, when I was born at six weeks old, uh, both of my grandparents were murdered. My mother went into a state of depression and lots of things. Well, I had an older brother at the time. I still have an older brother. He's still around. Uh, he's not here, is he? Because I want to tell Steph on him. Okay, good. I want to make sure that he's not here. Um, so we grew up in this very chaotic world. And, and at the funeral, uh, I was handed off to my great-grandmother, who had just lost her daughter because she was murdered. And I lived with her for the next three years. And so that was just the chaos that, that we were. So I lived with two 72 and a 75-year-old woman for the first three years of my life. And so uh, I didn't know anything but change and older people. And I had coffee when I was, you know, two and had uh, milk of magnesia every night and <laughs> took baths every day and, you know, long bubble baths and just all the stuff that 72-year-old women do. So that just seemed normal to me. My guess is that we could all go around and talk about the tragic stories that we might have. And I just think it's so interesting that God knows us better than we know ourselves. He's known us before we've known ourselves. 
It says in Ephesians 1, through, uh, 1, 4 through 5, it's just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that he would be holy and blameless before him, that we would be. In him he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. So God knows us. I mean, before the foundation of the world, he was thinking of you and he was thinking of his relationship with you and he was thinking of your spouse and to whom you would be married. So, so I was, like I said, complete, completely doted on by my parents and my siblings. Um, my sister, her whole fourth grade year, every show and tell, she would tell about me and at the end of the year, she showed me. I came up and I was in kindergarten. Um, and I just thought that was kind of normal that, you know, you did that. I was um, told mainly by my mom that I had saved their marriage and saved our family. And so that was pretty heavy for a five and six-year-old at the time. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. And then my dad would say I was the prettiest and the smartest. So kind of hard to beat that. So, I mean, and I believed him for a good long time. Um, So just... I, uh, it was just, it was just a very time of me learning that I needed to please people. I needed to make people happy. That's kind of why I was born. And so that, that was a lifelong of people pleasing for me. Uh, as my brother started first grade, he's now six, I'm three. We moved back in with my mother and we had a front row seat to all the things you would just never want your kids to be a part of. My mother was in and out of relationships. Uh, She was full-blown into addiction of alcohol and drugs at that point. She was a model, so she was traveling around the country, uh, living this jet-set lifestyle, and my brother and I had a front-row seat to all of the chaos that ensued because of that, Um, which led to a lot of insecurity in me, and I remember very distinctly about the age of eight or nine Uh, My mom married a guy that was Jewish, and he wanted us to convert to Judaism. And so I started asking a lot of questions about what happens when you die. And so I wasn't suicidal, but I was just curious, like, okay, what does this mean? And so I started just really looking for answers in what would happen when you die and became very obsessed with that question. Um, And then I I just was that people-pleasing kid. I just tried to be good. And I thought, whenever I thought about heaven, I just thought, well, you're just good enough. And then God will let you in. Um, and then I just, you know, I never really thought about like how good was good enough. It just, um, so when I was 12, I went to church camp and, um, the pastor talked about how you could go to heaven and it wasn't about being good. It was that we could never be good enough for a holy God. It was through his son, Jesus. And if I put my trust in him, he had done the work on the cross. And so it all kind of came together for me at that age. Um, I don't think I'd probably really heard John 3.16, but the pastor read that. It kind of came together. Um, I walked out of the camp and I kind of looked up at the stars. And it was just this moment where it was just super real and that was the, the moment, and um, God really used this verse, Psalm 97, 6, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. So for me, that was really my, uh, the beginning of my walk with Christ. And I got involved in different things in high school or in junior high through church and, and started going to a church I hadn't yet met Jesus. 
Uh, but I started hearing about this, this thing, this, this idea of who Jesus was. And my great-grandmother used to rock me. And there was that old picture of that blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus on the wall. And so I knew there was something about him that was different. And so I, I knew there was something to revere in that. And so as I got older, uh, I ended up going to Young Life when I was in high school. And through Young Life, trusted Christ when I was 15 at, a, at actually at Sky Ranch. Back, uh, it was October 16th, 1976, Texas OU weekend. Oh, we don't do that. Um, so that, that, was, that was just a, a really different thing for me. And, and, and as I trusted Christ, everything changed for me. I hadn't had a conscience at all before that. I didn't, there were no rules at our house. There were no curfews. There were no no's. There were no don't do that unless it annoyed someone. That was the only thing that you didn't do. And so here I had this newfound relationship in Jesus and my world just began to change. My heart changed immediately. My behavior took a little bit longer, but you know, finally it caught up. Um, and then just, we were talking about just expectations and relationships. And I had a really live example of what I wanted in a marriage. My, my parents, they weren't perfect, but they truly loved each other and were married 61 years. And so I had a real role model in my parents and how they treated each other. And I had a live role model too of what I did not want in a spouse. I knew, and, and the, the long answer is my mother trusted Christ later in life and, and she, you know, came to a saving faith and that was an awesome deal. And I'll tell you about that sometime if you want to know. But at the time, it was very difficult for me to have role models. I didn't have a role model as men. Uh, I didn't have role models as women. And so I, here I was in, in this newfound relationship with Jesus and just had no idea what to expect. But I, but I saw the behavior in my mom and I saw the behavior in the men that she hung around with and I knew that I didn't want that. I didn't want any part of that. So as we went off to college, my expectations were something very different than my mother, but I also had a really low bar. So um, God honed both of those ideas and what we wanted in a spouse. And we, we learned, you know, as we started dating, you know, we dealt with conflict very differently. How did you deal with conflict? Yeah. Well, we didn't. We just <laughs> didn't. If you just kind of didn't talk about it for about three days and kind of swept it under the rug, then everything was kind of okay. And so we were re really quiet about it. We, we didn't directly talk at each other and... Um, I had no idea how to deal with people that weren't happy with me in conflict. And she used to say that the, the bar for her was just being, when we first got married, really the bar was just home and sober. That, you know, you're winning if you're home and sober. That was kind of the bar that was set early on in our relationship. Um, as we learned how to deal through conflict, as we got married, we had our first kid when we were 25. And I remember having a panic attack. I didn't know what a panic attack was at the time, but we had just had this little girl and I remember going down the hallway and looking at her through the window and, and seeing this baby. It said, baby Johnston. I was like, that's really like, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't know how to raise this child. I don't know anything. I don't know what it means to be a man. Really. I don't know what it means to be a parent. And I remember going to this little chapel in a little hospital in Houston and just crying out, literally just sobbing. Like, what am I going to do? And it wasn't an audible voice, but I remember very clearly the Lord just comforting me and saying, I'm going to raise that child the same way I raised you. Stay with me. Look to my word. That's where you will find 
all the answers to what you need to do and how you want to raise this child. So how we dealt with conflict was very different. For, for Sherry, um, they swept it under the rug, like she said. For us, it was and, loudest And now voice. we call that peace breaking. I mean, peace faking. We just yeah. faked it peace. It was just like, if we don't talk about it, there's peace in the house. So now we have a tool. We, had, we just, just didn't talk about things. And, and we were peace breakers, peace fakers, whatever else you want to call it. We were everything but that. In our house, it was loudest voice wins. Best argument wins. And all you had to be was louder than my mom, which was hard, by the way. It was hard to be louder than her. So, I, and I remember reading through Matthew 5 early on in my relationship with Sherry and when we were dating and just thinking through that idea of Matthew 5, 9, that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What does that mean to be a, a peacemaker? And so that, that takes us to this idea of incompatibility. The number one cause of divorce in marriages is, is incompatibility. And what does that actually mean? And the truth of it is, is that God has wired each of us very uniquely in a Romans 12, one kind of way. Therefore, let, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to, rep- to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And he goes on to talk about the different giftedness that he gives each of us. God has wired each of us individually and uniquely. And I don't mean terminally unique where you can go off and be your own person, but you are unique. You're the only person that has experienced what you've experienced with the body that you have, with the person that you grew up with and the people you grew up with and the home you grew up with. So you're the only person that has that. And we have been given this um, idea, and I, I used to work for Disney, so I can blame them for this, uh, they gave us this idea of this romantic idea of what marriage is supposed to be is that you go and find your soulmate. And if you don't find that Prince Charming or the princess, then man, you just start over. You can just start over. Let's go get someone else. And that's the tendency. And marriage is hard. And the compatibility thing was really difficult for, for us in some ways because I think because of our age, we're probably some of the older people in here, I would guess. Yes, we are. Yep. Um, you know, we, we kind of had bought into that idea and that lie. And so every time we would have an argument, you know, there's this, there's this idea that you want to fight or just go, ah, it's just not the right person. We're just not compatible. We're not soulmates, whatever that means. And I'm not saying there isn't affinity in some relationships and some relationships are definitely harder than others, but don't give into the lie of that incompatibility deal. Know who you are as a person and if, you don't, if you're married and you don't know who you are, go find out who you are. Because we have an enemy that wants to tell us who we are every day. And that you will pass that on to your children. If you don't know who you are, when you start having children, you're going to try to find out who you are through their accomplishments or their lack of accomplishments, whatever it may be. And that's going to be a tough lesson. And you're, you're going to continually strive or fight in those areas. And I would just add to that, there's no one who has refined me to look more like Jesus than this man. He sees me at my best and my worst, and, um, and that's real scary sometimes. And just to be fully known and fully loved, that's what we all are looking for. Um, so we had our first daughter at 25. The next one came along the next daughter at 27, and then our last daughter, Audrey, at 29, Whitney, Rachel, Audrey. Um, And we really thought, I mean, I thought 
parenting was kind of like A plus B would equal C. You know, if we, you know, go to Christian school or raise them in the church and give them lots of Bible and do all these things, then, you know, it's going to be, it's going to all be great. And I would say they're all great right now, but um, it doesn't always equal that. And your kids, even with the same parents saying the same things, hear different things and act different ways. And we've got one daughter, especially, that just learns the hard way. And you can tell her, and she just goes, I know, but I'm still going to do it this way. And mm-hmm. God uses that too. And so I think being this far down, now she's 37, um, now she's raising her own kids. And that's real fun to watch because she's like, yeah, he won't listen. I'm like, uh-huh, And we give wow. them so much sugar when they come yeah. <laughs> It's really, that sugar. It's really fun being grandparents. But, you know, just to, just to give y'all a break because I think, I, I really do think we thought it could be a great formula. And kids will just do that every time. And we have... You know, we have one daughter that did listen to everything, and it was, she had an easier road. Um, but they're all, they're all where they just need to be, and, and just to be at peace with that. And, and I'll end with this. And dads, I really want to just really challenge you that every day, everything you do, you're teaching your kids what it means to live with your wife in an understanding way. You're teaching your kids what it means to cherish something God created. And same for you, wives. I want to challenge you that you're teaching your kids with every move how to respect a man. And these are part of how they grow up. And I don't know if you're here tonight because uh, your marriage is a nine and you want it to be a 10 or it's a negative five and you're just trying to get to a zero. I don't know. But I want to just challenge you. You're here for a reason. There's always going to be a struggle in life. And you've already chosen who you're going to struggle with. And it's a decision daily to get up. Marriage isn't easy. And our marriage has been, for 40 years, has been difficult at times. Sometimes it's been easier than others. Sometimes it's been harder than others. But it's a struggle and it's a decision daily to wake up and say, Lord, this is my provision. And I really believe that, that this woman is my provision. And this is who God has given me to perfect me more than any other human in the world. And I don't think I realized that until I was probably in my mid to late 20s, maybe several years after we were married, before I really realized that 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 was God's provision for me. And so realizing that, to just stop for a moment and say, okay, why am I doing this? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Why am I treating her the way I'm treating her? And to just back up for a minute minute, and just know that that struggle is there and every day is a decision just to wake up and uh, choose to be obedient.